Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, a statement from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith made global headlines saying that the Church cannot bless gay unions. We'll hear from a queer theology student on how the statement affected her, and talk to Jerry for the story behind the statement. Then we'll take a look at a new Vatican guideline that bans priests from celebrating Mass solo in St. Peter's Basilica, and relegated Latin Masses to one chapel in the Crypt Church. We'll talk about why that decision was made and what it tells us about bigger changes happening in the Church. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from rather chilly Rome, Colleen. We're in lockdown, few people on the street. It looks a little like ghost town. You're in a full lockdown like March of last year, right? Yes, exactly a repeat of last year. And it will last until the 6th of April. That's two days after Easter Sunday. So are you allowed to be in the studio recording right now? Well, uh, essential operators, you know. Okay. Our podcast is essential. I'm glad. How are cases in Rome looking? Uh, cases, not, not too bad. But the problem is we've had in one year more than 100,000 deaths, which runs parallel to the United States. We have 60 million people. You have 330 million, roughly. Right. It's just about the same ratio. Just about the same. Yeah. We're running now at the rate of about 350 deaths per day. And what's troubling the government especially is... Uh, the intensive care units. We're now over 3,000 in intensive care and rising. So uh, the government is, uh, fears that the hospitals could get paralyzed. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult moment. And uh, so we have to just wait and see and be patient. And uh, Yeah, and hope hope people can get vaccinated quickly. I know we're, we're slowly rolling out our vaccinations. People I know over here are starting to get them. Yeah, but you have a deadline for the 4th of July. But here they, they hope that by the end of summer, they will have the vaccines for everybody. So we just have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll keep holding on to that, that light at the end of the tunnel. The Vatican released a statement today directing priests not to bless same-sex unions. The church justifies the order by saying God, quote, cannot bless sin. Pope Francis added this was not unjust discrimination, but rather a clarification of the liturgical right of marriage. In some countries like the U.S. and Germany, parish priests had already begun blessing same-sex unions. On Monday morning, March 15th, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a statement responding to a question they said they'd received, asking if the church can bless same-sex unions. Their answer? Negative. It's not clear where this question came from. Most people believe it was a response to a movement in Germany called the Synodal Path, 
where lay people and bishops are openly discussing church teaching and suggesting some changes. The German church is in a synodal process, and uh, uh, this question has come up about uh, blessings for same-sex unions, persons, and uh, this has rather created a lot of unease in Rome because they said this will equate the blessing of same-sex unions to marriage if we give official blessings. And already in France, they're aware that in France too, there are bishops and groups who are working on the formula for blessings of same-sex unions. So th this was the first thing. But uh, uh, many people have said, well, you know, if you've got a problem in one country, why do you have to answer it through the whole world? And uh, this happened exactly about three or four months ago when some priest in the north of Italy, one priest in one diocese, uh, was baptizing in uh, with the we formula, we baptize you in the name of the Father, etc. And the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith came out responding to him, but in a message to the whole world, and most people didn't know what the question was. That decision, aimed at one Italian priest but released to the whole world, had huge ripple effects. One priest in the U.S. realized he'd been baptized with the wrong formula, which made his ordination invalid, which made some of the sacraments that he'd celebrated invalid, and the diocese actually had to hunt down some people who had received sacraments from him to tell them that because of this domino effect, the sacraments they'd received were invalid. So the, the target was the German bishops, basically. But there was also, the, in the background, the confusion that had been raised with the film by the Russian film director, the documentary. This was the documentary where Pope Francis said that he supported legal protections for same-sex couples so that they could be entitled to social security and other benefits. At the time, it meant a lot to gay Catholics to hear the Pope speaking out in favor of legal protections. My name is Julia Erlin. I'm a Master's of Divinity student at Boston College's School of Theology and Ministry, where I'm a complete liturgy nerd, and I also work with a support group for LGBTQ undergraduate students at BC. I'm also a queer woman in the Catholic Church. It's hard sometimes. I certainly speak to a lot of uh, non-LGBT folks about the Pope and how much he means to me and so many of my friends and the queer community and church, giving us hope that we don't always have or don't often have. Um, but he still fails us, like the church does. Um, when the CDF does this, it's not done without the Pope. They're not disconnected. And even if I want to detangle them from one another, that's not how the Catholic Church works. And I can't do that. And so it just hurts. Julia said it wasn't so much that she expected Pope Francis to change church teaching or even open up the possibility of blessing gay unions. What really hurt, she said, was the stark contrast in tone between Pope Francis's more welcoming and supportive words and the CDF's very strict statement saying that even though gay relationships can have positive elements, which I think is the first time they've said that, those positive elements still don't make gay unions legitimate because they are, quote, not ordered to the creator's plan. Rationally and today, I would say, I want to say, no, it doesn't. It's not a difference. It doesn't matter. But at heart, I'm a kid from a conservative archdiocese. So every kind statement of Francis, from who am I to judge, to his comments last fall about legal same-sex unions deserving civil protections, matter. 
they mattered back home. They would have mattered to me as a kid. They matter to the people who still live in these places. Even when church teaching doesn't change, it always hurts when things like this, it's like a punch in the gut. I think good still happens, but I want to say we shouldn't settle. But to be a queer Catholic is to make compromises and to decide how much you're willing to bear. I've heard this described as a good cop, bad cop routine, where Pope Francis tells queer Catholics that they're welcome and that God loves them and has a place for them in the church. And then the CDF comes in to lay down the law and remind people that their desires are, quote, disordered. After a while, the words of welcome start to feel empty or even insulting. And to make things worse, most of the media headlines said that Pope Francis himself had signed off on the document. But Jerry wants to nuance that a little bit. It may seem sophistry or whatever you wish, uh, arcane kind of reading of the, the text, but I was struck, and I have a long experience now reading Vatican texts, I was struck by the formula that was used. The secretary of the congregation went to the Pope with a document. The Pope was informed of the document, mm -hmm. and he gave his assent to its publication. Right, that's a, a direct quote. That is from the quote from the document. I, I got it very clear in my head. I've talked with other people here since, and everybody said this is a, a little unusual as an expression. And it's as if it was some way distancing somewhat. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Help me, help me understand the, the Vaticanese here. Well, you could say that the, the, they took this document to the Pope and who approved it and ordered this publication. Mm-hmm. So th th that's one point. Secondly, I, ha I have learned from people in the congregation that this document was not discussed by the plenary assembly of the congregation, which is held every month. You would have about 25, 26 people participating in that. The plenary of the congregation, plenary meeting, has not been held for many months because of the pandemic. So it means that the document was worked on and drafted by a very small group of people. It was taken to the Pope by the secretary of the congregation, the Italian Archbishop Morandi, and uh, he outlined to the Pope, the Pope was preparing for Iraq, the trip to Iraq, his mind was focused on Iraq, and uh, he said, they said, uh, it must have been explained to them, we don't know exactly what went down in the conversation, but uh, Anyway, the, con the secretary came away with the agreement of the Pope to have it published. Those are some small but important details. A much smaller group than would usually be required to write a document like this drafted a statement and brought it to the Pope when he was focused on Iraq. We don't know how much attention he gave it, but we know it wasn't enough for them to write that he'd approved it, just that he'd been informed of it. There is no reason to believe or for anybody to think that the Pope has backtracked on all he has said to date. There is no evidence for that. And having known him for many years now, it's not in his track record either to do that. It's as if he's being charged with being two-faced. You're saying one thing one day and one thing another day. I think this is really uh, very unfair to the Pope. And I don't think the story has ended here. Jerry expects that the press will keep asking questions about this and that we may get more clarity on how this statement came about later. 
While we wait for that clarity, though, queer Catholics like Julia are left with questions, specifically about what it means to receive a blessing. What does this mean when we talk about blessings in this way? Am I suddenly magically a different person if I go into a church with a partner than when I do alone? Uh, Does my relationship status make me capable in different ways of receiving a blessing? I think I'm the same person. But what does it here say um, if I'm not always willingly embracing um, what the church says I have to do? If I don't embrace that now, can I receive any blessings at all? this, this language is in some cases a little vague of saying that queer folks who ascribe to teaching uh, and doctrine on celibacy can receive blessings in good faith. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my friends? And what does that mean for my community? Uh, it gives a little concerning pastoral wiggle room. Uh, kindness for a kind minister, but cruelty from a cruel one, potentially. You can find Jerry's article on the CDF statement, as well as an article by our national correspondent, Michael O'Loughlin, rounding up responses from a wide variety of gay, lesbian, and bisexual Catholics in the show notes and at americamagazine.org. If you go to St. Peter's Basilica early in the morning, at least pre-pandemic, it's empty. Footsteps echo and dissipate quickly through the massive space, and you can faintly catch the whispers of priests saying masses at the side altars alone, maybe in Latin, maybe in their own languages, it's too quiet to tell. If you sit for a while, you start to notice that it's actually a sort of quiet chaos. 30 or 40 priests pass through the Vatican's 46 altars, each for 20 or 30 minutes, saying their private mass before they go on with their day. It gives a very strange kind of impression, like a market, like a fair. And obviously the Pope will have noticed this, and obviously many other people notice it, and they feel that what happens in St. Peter's is really meant to be like the gold standard for the world in terms of liturgy. That's why the Vatican issued a new guideline banning private, individual masses in St. Peter's Basilica and relegating the Tridentine Latin Mass to one chapel in the crypt church. Instead of many individual masses, there will be a few large communal masses with cantors and lectors, that is, laypeople being involved. Pope Francis has set out from the beginning of his pontificate to continue the implementation of the teachings of Vatican II the spirit, and the letter. Uh, So this is one in terms of the liturgy. It it is done this way. What was being perceived by many people was that when you have all these uh, priests going, many of them saying Mass alone and in Latin, and then you have this other definitely Latin, uh, pre-Vatican II, it was almost like a resistance to the Second Vatican Council's liturgy. And so, to put order in it and to ensure that the liturgy that was celebrated in, in, in St. Peter's is, in fact, in accordance with the Vatican Council, and that the norm 
is not the traditional Latin mass. That is not the norm. So it's not to be put on a par with the other. As soon as this announcement was made, some people jumped to connect it to the recent retirement of Cardinal Robert Seurat, who headed the Vatican's worship office. I asked Jerry if there was any connection between his retirement and this decision. I mean, Cardinal Serra was known for supporting the the mass back to the people facing the altar facing east. He was known to be traditionalist in in many ways, but uh, this is separate from him. It's it's a separate thing. St. Peter's, it has its own archpriest, who is now a Franciscan who comes from Assisi. Uh, He he will take, but he, he hadn't actually taken possession, as it were, when this instruction came out. So maybe it was to lay down the ground rules even before he came. Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you, do we know about if the Pope was involved in this decision? We don't know. But I I cannot imagine a chief of staff taking such a decision without having clearance from uh, the, the highest authority in the church. Pope Francis is also turning his view towards Cardinal Sarah's former office, the Congregation for Divine Worship. He's ordered the bishop who handles liturgy for the Italian Bishops' Conference to visit the congregation and do some research. It's very unusual to have such a visitation. I've talked to people in the Vatican. Nobody can give me a precedent for such a visitation between the departure of one head of office and the arrival of a second. So maybe the Pope wants to understand, you know, what exactly is the situation there so that he can get a clearer idea of what kind of person he needs to propel, to implement, and to fully uh, ensure that the office is ticking and working in accordance with this Second Vatican Council and not otherwise. What Pope Francis wants to be certain of is that this office and whoever he puts in charge of it is going to be totally in harmony with the direction of the Second Vatican Council. Because you've got a vision of church behind it. If you get it wrong in the liturgy, you're going to have other side effects right across in other areas of the church life. You can find Jerry's full report on the changes to worship in St. Peter's Basilica and an article on the research happening in the Congregation for Divine Worship at americamagazine.org and linked in the show notes. So Jerry, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and to uh, risk going down to the Korea in the middle of lockdown. I appreciate it. I always appreciate getting your perspective on, especially these things, going back to Vatican II, right? Because because I know that you know the history so well, and it's really good to get a perspective from somebody who, who knows their stuff. Well, thank you for dragging thoughts out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. But uh, no, no, it's 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 very good. It's it's good to get out of lockdown and chat. And yeah, let's hope we will all be out of lockdown by this time next year. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your questions and comments at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. And if you want to support our work on the show, the best way to do that is by subscribing to America Magazine, which you can do at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thank you. 
For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.